Hey everyone, it's Pete Van Epps. Welcome back to another edition of the Canberra Brooks Podcast. Really excited for this episode. Glad you decided to uh, take a listen. This is the fifth installment of an ongoing conversation with Canberra Brooks CEO, Chuck Alvarez. And so if you remember, it started all the way back in episode 114, exactly a year ago, when my colleague Joel Junker had a conversation with Chuck about the year that was 2020, COVID, and everything that went along with that, and looking forward to 21. That conversation spawned episode 116 and 118, which basically is the power of comparison and defining the word transition. And then back in August, we did one episode 130, just kind of a check-in, hey, what's happening now? Because things happened so rapidly in 2021. And so, again, fifth installment where Chuck is back with Joel this time again. And Joel is having a similar conversation to what he and Chuck had back in the t- uh, late 2000, saying, uh, except in this case, okay, what did 21 look like? And what is 22 shaping up to be from an economic perspective, what companies are saying. And then the other thing that really happened that I thought was fun in this one is Joel led a very robust Q&A. This was a live webcast that we did. There was a bunch of people on the webcast and many questions came in, very specific questions. So the reason I think you'll like this episode is one, you'll hear from Chuck again. Hey, what's going on in the economy? What are companies saying about hiring and specifically hiring junior military officers? And then two, Um, We were able to field some questions from the folks that were on the presentation live. Um, And I think those questions are indicative of the many of the questions that we get, similar to many of the questions that we get on a fairly continuous basis here as we're all trying to navigate um, the the ever-changing world and the economy and looking at making the transition, et cetera. So super excited to bring this one to you. Uh, We're gonna pick the conversation up Chuck is actually, as we pick it up, Chuck is actually answering the question, okay, let's take a look back at 2021, kind of give us the overall sense of what 21 was. And so you'll hear Chuck's voice as I turn this over to him and you'll hear the conversation uh, with Chuck and Joel. Okay, without further ado, here's the conversation. But, you know, you gotta, you gotta maintain context that, uh, that what's happening in the United States is also happening in developed and emerging economies uh, across the world. So nobody would have predicted that we would have done that in 2020, and then you would have an absolute 180 in 2021. And and we've said it we've said it you know many times. Um, it's uh, it's so hard to predict uh, something as big and, and complex as the economy. And so I think it was a great year for candidates, which just is a uh, pleases us to no end because I think we feel such a um, such a uh, burden of responsibility when military officers who have served our country uh, decide to to terminate that career and make a transition into the business world you know when we have uh, that the partnership of helping them we feel an incredible uh, amount of responsibility to help them uh, find success and and so 2021, you know, just multiplied that exponentially as uh, as uh, companies across many industries uh, came came roaring back. I think it's been great for for clients. I think uh, companies have looked at a different way of doing work. I think that there's been a new definition of uh, of work and working remotely and location and 
travel and this, even this whole like Zoom communication is going to be amazing for, I think, just the quality of life for people that have done, you know, enormous amount of travel over a career. I think, you know, going forward, there's going to be new work rules that, uh, that take place and work from home and tele, uh, teleworking and remote work. Uh, so, so just really exciting for companies, I think, to, to uh, the, the disruption of the pandemic created an opportunity for people to, for corporations to look at their work differently. And, and it's been incredible for, for Cameron Brooks, you know, we've got a great team here. It's uh, we've got, we've got several young, young people on the team. It's been unbelievable for uh, 24 months of experience for our team members. You know, we're, we're very much a built the last company and, and uh, I think it's just been incredible to watch uh, our own team and the amount of learning that's, that take, that's take place. So I agree with you, Joel. And, in many ways, it's two of the most remarkable years, and you and I have been through a lot uh, with, you know, the Gulf War and and um, uh, the dot com implosion and and September 11th, uh, which was which was incredible, and the financial meltdown of 2009. So, I mean, we've been through a lot, but this one is this one is really unique, and I think it's just got a great uh, story coming out of it for everybody that's been um, that's been involved with it. Really exciting. Yeah, like you mentioned, those other downturns and challenges that you know, hit, kind of like COVID hit, like the 2008-9 financial crisis hit that. But it took like, I don't know, three years yeah. to feel like we got back to some sort of sense of normalcy. I wouldn't say this last year was normal, but like the whiplash of hit, whoa, things tightened up. All of a sudden, bam, we're right back into this growth mode. Absolutely. Um, what do you think is the, what's going on? I mean, I, I, I read, I can't, what do you, what is, what's caused this hot market right now for, especially for people like the junior officer? Yeah. I mean, it's always been, you know, you take those events that we talked about in the past, it's always been isolated to an industry or two, you know, the, the, uh, it's never been so broad based. Um, the, the pandemic cut every single industry. Uh, across the board. And, and then it, very often, you know, it might hit the United States, but, you know, Europe is doing well, or China is doing well, or Asia, or Latin America. And so, you know, you have to remember the global economy is like $90 trillion. We're $22 trillion of that. Um, so, you know, we're a quarter of the, of the global economy, but there's, you know, the other three quarters are out there. And, so the pandemic, you know, you, you, all you to do is watch the world news. I mean, what we were doing here, they're doing in, in China and doing in uh, Indonesia and doing in India and Brazil and in Spain and, you know, Mexico. And so it just, it was so dramatic uh, across the board, across industries, across economies that I think what ended up happening is the, the, the whiplash ended up being equally is, uh, is, um, explosive. And so we've just never had a situation like this where the where global economies are growing this fast and we are we are consuming a lot of uh of people right now and and there are a lot of job openings out there and you're seeing unemployment rates uh, hit uh hit lows. Um a lot of people don't know this but the the US economy, the US GDP um hit pre-pandemic levels in July 2021. So basically everything that went away came back by July of 2021. 
and then and then in the second quarter and the third quarter and and all all things indicated for the fourth quarter you know we've got these just historic growth on top of what happened um pre-pandemic. I mean, 2019 was a good year. GDP grew like 2.4% or something like that. Unemployment was at a big low before the pandemic hit. Well, we got all that back by July. And so everything that's happened this year since July is on top. Um, It's just historic, historic times. And I I think back, and we talk a lot about this, my favorite, one of my favorite Buffett quotes, which I have two of them that I really like that are relevant, and I've said it before, but you know, he says, by the time you hear the robins chirping, spring is over. And and we talked about that during the pandemic, where there was this this idea that hey, this thing's going to come back, and you can't time the market. And so you know, it, t- it took acts of you know, kind of faith to to realize you know we're we're a very powerful country, and there are many uh, powerful economies out there, um, including ours. And so so you know, I think the people that made smart bets um, and smart investments. And maybe took a longer term horizon instead of worrying about what was happening in 2020. They looked at it, you know, 2025 and 2030, um, and and made decisions before the robins started chirping. Boy, have the robins been chirping now! And the other Buffett quote that I love is, and he he credits his uh, hundred billion dollar fortune with like this idea that that uh, you know be brave when everybody else is scared and scared when everybody else is brave. And, and I, I think that that is those messages when you're young and you have time to, to monetize an investment. Um, I, I, I think people that looked out at a five or 10 year horizon made some really good choices. And I'm not even saying you, you rush out of the military. If you're still debating whether or not you want to be a 20 year person or you want to get out as a uh, you know, pre-20, I mean, that's a decision that you have to make, in my opinion, absent of what's going on in the economy. You've got to decide what's right for you. So I'm not saying run out of the military. I mean, we need good military officers. We need people staying in defending um, our country. But for those of you that are saying, I don't think I'm going to stay in for 20 years, um, you know, plan, take the lesson learned of what's happened here and use it to look out five years in your own life, a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, and, and make a smart investment and don't wait for the robins to start singing, you know, so you don't miss spring. Right, and you know, the the, the we talk about this also the, the book that you know the obstacle is the way those it's those challenges those crucibles that that build us that shape us mold us um, that give us that credibility. Um, and we're certainly even though the job market's good, these companies are still challenged, which is one of the reasons why they're hiring and is a good time to get out to experience these challenges that the companies have and rebuilding and whether it be rebuilding or reshaping or re-strategizing this post-COVID world, it's a very good time to enter into the marketplace to get this experience. Um, with, with that, Chuck, why, you know, we've, not only is there just a demand across for people and really good people, it, there is just something about there's this unique demand for the JMO that's yeah. that has come out too. What is it that you're hearing from companies besides, hey, we just need to fill a position? I know you won't let them come to a Cameron Brooks conference just to fill a position. It's got a needs. But what is it that they're asking that GMOs have that they value so much? 
Well, I think I think that you know we we've always been most interested. I've always been most interested in high complexity recruiting. So the the roles that we target, the roles that are interesting to me, that I I like the idea of presenting to high quality junior officers or high complexity openings. And a high complexity opening requires multiple skill sets in the same person. And I joke around about this, but it's not even a joke. You know, when you talk to a hiring manager. You know, you know, what separates a top 10% performer in this role from the other 90, they give you this run-on sentence. You know, I need a leader that's really driven, that has incredible learning agility, that's super adaptable, that is, you know, highly intuitive, but also highly analytical, that can work well with people, that can collaborate, that is willing to do, you know, it just goes on and on. And, I, and, and that is, those, are, those have always been strong JMO traits. Right. I mean, I can I'm hitting my 30th anniversary. It's incredible to me. January 2022, uh, the January conference is is 30 years since I left the service. And so that that formula of junior military officer experiences being really unique, that's always been true. But I think what's interesting is that in a way, you know, military officers, in my opinion, for high complexity recruiting, sit up here at a pinnacle. Right, you sit up here high because your experience out of college is so unique, and and nobody develops leaders like the military does. And so, so you sit up here on a pinnacle. And I think what's happened, you all, is that more high complexity jobs are out there. So there are more roles that need military skill sets. But I also think this: there are a lot of people that are scared when the rest of the world is scared. You know, that the business world is a large pluralistic group of people. It's much larger and a much, much more diverse than the military is. And the military is pretty diverse, but society is much larger, right? There's 1.8 million people on active duty. There, there are, you know, 325 million Americans. And so, so, so I think a lot of people, you know, they may even have skills or, you know, some skills like that, but it's a very difficult time for them. So I think in a lot of ways, other people who can fulfill the roles have fallen down. And so here we are, like with just, it's, it's like, it's gold out there today, your skill set, because, because of all the things that are going on and all the change and all the challenges and everything you read about in the nightly news are challenges that companies are facing and they're looking for leaders and problem solvers that, and givers candidly, givers that, that, are, that are interested in serving. And it's still, after 30 years, my favorite way to think about work is to serve and to serve others and to give more than you take. Well, military has taught that because all of us joined the military out of, a, out of a desire to serve. This is just serving in another way. But I think there's just a, a premium right now for people that have these multiple skill sets all in the same person combined with a good growth mindset and learning agility um, that, uh, that can fill these high-complexity roles. And I just – I think we will never run out of these roles, you all. There's no line of sight. I think the business world has changed needing more people like this, and I think you're – for those high complexity roles. Now, there are a lot of medium complexity ones and lower complexity ones that I, I think you could have all the talent in the world, but you're in the wrong role. And so I think it's really important to try to find these high complexity ones, which is why I look so hard for them and why we're so selective on you know, not only companies that we work for, but jobs that we work for. Because I just think the whole thing's a lot more interesting 
when you're when you're getting unique uniquely talented military officers and putting them in front of of companies looking for high complexity recruiting recruiting you, you know check it was it, it, only because I was asked this earlier today I think the can't the the officers that are listening to this know how we vet them because we tell them up front they're curious how do you ensure how do you ensure that the companies and the the positions that we bring um, are developmental, that there are top tier companies. Like, what do you go through to make sure yeah. that a company comes to the conference and meets what Rob Davis, Pete Van Epps are telling the candidates that we're going to bring? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a screening process. So it's, it's the same type of thing, right? You've got you've to be willing to, to go through opportunities and say no to things that are, that are not. Uh, you know, that, that you're not interested in doing. And I think we're, so you've got to have a lot more demand out there to be able to say no to things. And so I think a lot of other recruiting firms out there, they just, you know, they just don't, they don't probably perform at a level that we perform and therefore they don't have as much demand. And I've talked to a lot of leaders in other firms and they're good people, right? That other, other companies that are in the veteran space, and we're all passionate about veterans. So I'm very, very thankful that these other companies, you know, are out there, are out there doing that, but their constraint is demand. They, they have lots of candidates and they don't have enough opportunities. So they have to take whatever they can get. I think our thing is you've got to be able to screen companies. And, and additionally, Joel, as you very well know, every single company, every job at the conference has to get through me. And so I personally, talk to the hiring team, to the hiring managers, and I'm asking them questions. And in a way, you're, I'm interviewing them, if you will, looking for opportunities that I think are high complexity openings that require experience. They require experience. And they require experience that I think are going to be in the wheelhouse of junior military officers. So, but you've got to go through the companies. You have to spend a lot of time talking to people. Thankfully for us, I mean, I, I've been tracking it here all year and even last year that every conference, 98% of the opportunities that we ultimately bring to a conference are connected to a Cameron Brooks alum. And sometimes that Cameron Brooks alum is the CEO of the company yeah. that, that calls and says, hey, I want to do this. And we talk about high complexity recruiting and we pick, uh, you know, we pick teams and parts of the business to be able to, to be able to recruit for. Other times it's a hiring manager. It's somebody you know, like a person on the phone right now, five years from now that gets promoted and wants to start hiring for his or her own team. And so, but the point is that you've got a lot of people that know the capability of a Cameron Brooks junior officer and, and they come to us. And so I don't need to go out there and stretch and do things that, you know, I don't think are, are particularly interesting. Now we do like unique things. I mean, there are some huge trends out there. It's been really fun here working with smaller companies that are private equity owned and getting into a lot of these private equity operations groups. That's been really interesting. You know, I, per I personally have been, you know, much more involved with that here in the last year. So there are a lot of smaller companies that are being purchased by PE firms that are rolling them up. And boy, are they starting to do high complexity junior uh, leadership recruiting. So it's not necessarily all the, just the really big name companies, even though we have a lot of those too. So big, medium, or small, they just have to have a compelling, you know, candidate value proposition to the candidate that we know, Joel, the candidate yeah. that this company has built its legacy on. And that's, 
that's junior officers, which is why we don't bifurcate and, you know, try to become all things to all people with different types of veterans. Believe me, I care deeply about enlisted recruiting. I, I, I think actually it's much harder for enlisted people getting out of the military than it is for high quality junior officers. And I wish we, you know, I wish I had like another me or another, another seven of you, Joel, that, you know, we could get out there and do that, but we stay, we purposely stay very, very focused on our, on what we know very, very well. And that's what we just, we just talked about here, but that's how you get the companies by being really, really good at, um, at the space that you decide to, uh, to occupy. So, so we got our first question that comes in. It's a little bit off. It's not necessarily on the sub. It's sort of on the subject we've been talking about because it is on COVID, but it might be too early to tell. Um, the Omicron uh, variant, um, and you might be able to look back at Delta. What's your expectation how this is going to affect um, conferences moving forward? I don't think it'll affect it at all. I think the effects have already been taken uh, into account. And so this is the third wave, right? We had the initial, we had, we had Delta, now we have this one. And I think there'll be more. And I was on the phone with the GM, uh, former Marine officer, runs a huge business, uh, national business. I was on the phone with him eight months ago. And he said, this is never going away. COVID, we'll have one variant after another. And, and his, his advice was get used to it, to me. Right. As a as a leader in this business, he wasn't lecturing other people. He's lecturing me saying, you know, get used to it. It's not going to go away. And now it's you're going to have times that it takes bites out of the economy. But I got to tell you, I don't know that that would be such a bad thing right now because the economy is completely overcooked. Right. And so, you know, I'm not talking about loss of life and stuff like that. That's that's absolutely terrible. But it wouldn't hurt to have things calm down a little now. Now, you know, maybe, maybe it affects 5% of the number of offers that are out there, but I also think it allows, you know, you're not jumping on a train that's moving at like 400 miles an hour. And, and it, it, I think it makes it a little easier to assimilate into, into a business because right now things are, things are frothy and they're, you know, they're exciting. It kind of like joining the military in the middle of a deployment. It's uh, it's very possible to do it, but it is, um, you know, it'll get, it'll get your attention. And so anyway, I'm not I don't have anybody calling me yet saying that they are worried about this new uh, variant. I think it's right on the backside of the Delta variant. And so it to me, it feels normal. Um, I think that you'll see all the precautions that were put in place the first time. And with Delta, I think you'll see companies putting those precautions in place again. We're you know, and there's still a lot of companies we work with you all, a lot of departments that are back in the office one day a month right now. And the rest of the time they're still working remotely. So it's not like they, they are spending a lot of time together in the office anyway. And so a lot of, you know, and other companies are very different than that, but the point is um, it is uh, it, it's not anything that's really on my radar other than all of us staying safe and healthy and, and uh, doing all the things that we need to do to protect, uh, to protect each other. And that may have been, Taylor, it's hard to tell what the question was, like the effect on the conferences. So I didn't know if it meant from the hiring groups or, hey, if we're staying virtual. I mean, we're staying virtual for Definitely. foreseeable future. Yeah, until, until we have line of sight where hotels can run banquets again. Um, and that's a very complex thing, much more complex than I thought it would be. But, but right now, hotels are not running business-related uh, events. Um, they, they're struggling to find employees to run their banquets department. And so, and these are, you know, big hotels that we go to. So, 
So in big cities, so there's a, you know, they're feeling, they're feeling a crunch. So yes, if the question is whether or not we're going to stay virtual, I think that we're going to stay virtual probably for the entire year of 2022. But I think you're going to see more and more companies doing second round interviews in person where you're going to be after the conference and the follow-up process, they're going to be more and more flights. Um, I think maybe not during the respiratory season, like right now, because we're seeing COVID cases climb again with this new variant. Um, But there's, you know, again, there's a lot of flexibility in how we all run these businesses. That's the great part of the lessons of COVID is that it, uh, you know, we, we already know the plays to run. It's just a matter of looking at the field and calling the right plays. I'm just going to keep going with the questions too, because these are good, because it's harder to stay on, on top of all if we give you more. On the COVID topic, Chuck, and you mentioned this at the beginning, um, have we, what, what have we, from your perspective, seen uh, from the change of, of flexible work options, whether that be work from home, you know, the one day a week type of thing in the office, um, and our compensation and benefits evolving because of that? What, what are you seeing from that perspective? I don't think it's changing compensation and benefits at all. I haven't seen anything like that. Um, I think that, you know, the jobs and the comp plans and the incentive comp, uh, all of that is, you know, that you're still, you're still performing in the role. So you're still bringing, bringing value in the role. So I don't think that it, uh, I don't think it is, it's affecting compensation, but the way the work rules and companies are all over the map, everything that you could imagine from a hundred percent in person in a, in a very high productivity, um, uh, operation, you know, that is moving product. And thank goodness they are because the part of the dilemma in the whole supply chain is, you know, is being able to meet demand of product. It has to be made. So, so I think that portion of the supply chain is very much, you know, in person. I think, I think sales organizations are out working with customers again in person, obviously with precautions, but there are other parts that are still 100% remote. And I do think you all, I think that over time, you know, we, we get out of the military, and I remember this, right? I said this in another one, I, another uh, webcast. I told Roger Cameron that I wanted to be within a 10-hour drive of Washington, D.C., which is, which is where, I'm, where I'm, I was from when I left the service. And I, just, I still laugh like crazy because I only drove 10 hours in a car one time in the last you know, 30 years, and that was on the Thursday after September 11th. Uh, to pick up um, my wife and two kids at the time, but I've you know you don't you don't drive ten hours once you uh, once you get out and you start you know you you start having the wherewithal you know you're gonna you're gonna fly places. Um, but the but the point is is that location is it, you, it's going to become more of an agnostic factor. Now it might be smart for you to to go where the company wants you to go initially and get your foot in the door, but I think. Three to four years from now, there are going to be so many choices that have come about, so many different work structures that come about, and choice that you have to lead your career in a way that that you know that works for you. And so, I just uh, I think it's I don't know I think it's sort of advanced to us as a civilization. COVID did, and and with work rules, it took probably what technology would have done naturally in the next twenty years, and it it did it in twenty months. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here, here's a, I, I was going to, when we were talking about the virtual conferences, I thought, oh, I should probably pull this all the way through. Um, but I was thinking that most people have heard this from us. So the question is, has Cameron Rook seen issues with hiring cancer regarding employer? Oh, oh I, I misread the question. What have we heard from hiring candidates regarding employer vaccine mandates or testing? 
Um, no, sorry, nothing. These coming in, they're coming in fast. Sorry, here okay, it comes great. back. The quality great. of interviews from person versus virtual. Yeah, That's, I don't. From my perspective, I feel like from the conference standpoint, sure, we want to get back in person. Mm-hmm. But the quality of the interviews that have been happening, we found other ways to make it a quality experience. The companies yeah. have, we have, the candidates have. Yes. So from the standpoint of the experience and the results, I think the 72% turning positive, we, sure, this year had a part of it to do with the economy. Well, we were even seeing high rates of positive of yeses and outcomes even during the pandemic. Yes. So I, I well, we figured it out. It's different, but the quality Yeah, we figured it there. out, though. It was, I, I mean, I think like we talked about, Joel, in the beginning, it was, I thought it was very challenging. I was, I was terribly worried that non-traditional candidates, which are what junior military officers are, traditional candidates are people with five, 10 years of business experience uh, and have resumes that actually have experiences that directly relate to the, to the work that's being done. I worried terribly that virtual interviewing was going to put non-traditional candidates at a disadvantage. And, and so we've done a lot of work with DPP and with prepar- preparing candidates so that, so that a non-traditional candidate is not at any disadvantage doing interviews virtually. And in many ways, I think we've gone right past disadvantaged into being advantaged because you're so prepared for how to communicate your background and your behaviors that I think it just comes flying out through the camera. But remember this too, that you know, it used to be great when everybody was in one office, a candidate could fly to the office and meet with eight people they had to meet with in one day you know, a, around a, a conference room with a couple of other offices So, because everybody was in one place. But now the business world is spread out. You could do an in-person interview and fly to one location, but when you're there, you're going to be up on a screen because six of those people no longer work in that office. They now work remotely or they moved to Tucson or wherever they wanted to, and they're, they're running this job remotely. And so I think that this idea of a virtual, hybrid virtual in-person interview is here to stay. Yeah. I don't think that it will ever leave, whether or not you meet one person in person and three people virtually or three in person and one virtually. It's, it, uh, the business world is spread out. And there's a lot more flexibility on where you live, a lot more compared to three years ago. Now, maybe not in the starting role, because I've even seen companies say things like to onboard a non-traditional candidate, it is, it is a big advantage to be within driving distance of Dallas. And so you can pick, you can decide you want to live in San Antonio, you want to live in Austin, but you got to be in a reasonable car drive to meet in person in Dallas or in Denver or wherever. And you might just say, hey, I don't feel like driving four hours. I'm just going to live in Dallas. Or you might decide I want to live in Austin. That's totally your prerogative. But there, there are, there's flexibility, but I think we all still want to take the high-quality, non-traditional candidate and onboard you and get you assimilated into the organization successfully. And, and that's going to require some travel or some in-person. That's not going to go away. It's going to require some of that. Now, how it plays out and exactly how many days a week you do that, a lot of it depends on what role you go into and, and when and what's going on with, uh, with uh, virus precautions at that time. Yeah, was just, there's another question that came in. We have to get back to this vaccine one. It said, what are, the, what are some of the challenges that candidates have had with virtual interviewing? I, I, my perspective, because I work a lot with people, is you know, I think it's trying to get your virtual room set up. It's you got the right lighting. You got the right, camera, the right place. 
Very because important. That has right become your handshake. That yeah. has become your presence in the interview. Well, we that, coach people on that. We've got yeah. a lot of tests, requirements, feedback. But the standpoint of other fundamentals of interviewing, building rapport, asking yeah. good questions, telling your story, connecting, that hasn't changed at all. No. No. So, it might have gotten more important. Yeah. Right. You know? Right. Because because of that, you're up here at the pinnacle and everybody's following away. So when you get up there and you start hitting doubles and triples in interviewing, like you're winning games, winning a lot of them, where maybe before it took, you know, triples and maybe uh, all the way around the bag. But I think now if you're if you're interviewing well, virtually, you know, you can meet a lot of people in uh, at a conference today. I mean, the, the average number of people in the interview has gone up because companies are taking advantage of the, of the virtual interview to get three or four people involved. And so I think you look at a conference and the network that you're building with 12 or 13 interviews when you're meeting that many people in, in two days. I mean, your business network is just skyrocketing at a conference today. And so to me, to me the good outweighs the challenges. Plus, we know the challenges. So we're going to help you, right? We're going to come to you and teach you the things to mitigate the risk on the challenges. And therefore, you're taking advantage of all the upside. Yeah. So Chuck, what is your, so what, what are you hearing, seeing about candidates who are choosing not to, your officers choosing not to be vaccinated? We've got several in the program um, coming to conferences. So we, get, we do get a lot of questions about, hey, what are you hearing, seeing about vaccines? What are employers saying? Those types of things. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's changing. It's changing. I, if you would have asked me that question, Joel, four weeks ago, and you did ask me that question four weeks ago, I said, we just got to start tracking it because some companies are saying we need to have people vaccinated, you know, so we, we started tracking it. But we, I don't think today we've had any offers like withheld uh, because, of, because of vaccinations. Now, companies have asked us the question and we'll probably for these next five conferences continue to ask, are you vaccinated? Are you not? And so I think it's going to be something that needs to be managed. But we started seeing alumni of ours that, you know, obviously it's much easier if you get vaccinated, but if we've seen alumni that have said they've gotten exceptions inside their own companies um, with, uh, with not being vaccinated, you know, religious exemptions is a, is a, is a really big one. And so we just saw some of those come through this week, Joel, that, that, um, you know, I think companies are going to try to keep good people that are there. And so more to follow on this. I'm, I personally am not super afraid of it. I mean, it doesn't bother, it doesn't, uh, you know, there are other things that I think I worry more about right now than whether a person is vaccinated um, from, a, from running this company perspective. Um, but, but it is on our radar and I think we need to watch it. And I think we need to be thoughtful about it to make sure that we are, you know, for those of you that whatever side of that decision you fall on, that, you know, we're doing a good job as your partner. Yeah, I think there's bigger things to manage in your career, so you should be concerned about. I know you don't want to diminish that because I think there's a lot of pressure. Things that have bigger impacts is right. what I mean. Right. I mean, your decision to back in your location. Are you going to be yeah. well prepared? Mm-hmm. You know, what's your mindset going yes. into? There's so much more important strategies. That they have a bigger, they have a bigger impact. Right. They're, they're all important, but they're, you're right, Joel, they have a bigger impact right now. Uh, but, you know, I think we got to watch to see what happens with this federal vaccine mandate with companies with more than 100 employees. And, you know, so far it's looking like the Supreme Court's going to, is not going to let that uh, take place. Right. And so I think you're seeing companies already 
shifting gears like almost daily on this topic and trying to figure out how they're going to manage it. So more to follow on that one. That's evolving very quickly. Yes. Um, this is this is a, such a good question, too, because I think there's some misperceptions out here. And this would be an easy one for you to answer. Yeah. Candidates with, without graduate degrees, do they find it difficult to progress beyond entry-level positions in the corporate world? I'm so glad that Matthew asked this because yeah. um, I think there's some misperceptions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the answer is no, it's not hard. Um, a graduate degree is a great thing to get you all. And I think when you get out of the service, um, I think it, it should be within your five-year you know, plan, if you don't have a grad degree yet, to enroll in an executive program or a night program. Um, you don't have to do it. I don't have a graduate degree. Joel doesn't have a graduate degree. Um, it, you know, so he, I, know, I know lots and lots of people. I mean, still know, there's still CEOs of companies, you all, that didn't even graduate from college. And so it, it's, it's not, there's a lot of Kool-Aid, I think, on this idea that a grad degree is a, is a must. I just think that's ridiculous. In my opinion, one person's opinion. And, and just with, with a lot of years of doing this, it's just, there's no data to support that. Now, the MBA programs that really want you to go full-time, they are marketing to you and they really want you to give them all that tuition. And, and so, you know, you're, you're a product of theirs and that. And so, so uh, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of marketing that goes on in that. And they like you to believe that it's, uh, you know, this is a prerequisite um, to, uh, you know, you got to go to this school to be able to, to be uh, an effective leader. I just think, it's, I, I don't think that is uh, anything that I would worry about. If you have a graduate degree, great. If you, if you've got one, if you have time, you have three years before you get out of the service, enroll in a night program. It's going to give you tools that are going to make it easier for you to accelerate in your work, not necessarily in your career, but in your work. I mean, you'll have extra tools to bring on the job. And so I think that can be, uh, that can be, uh, uh, that can be an excellent thing in the military. And, and a third of our candidates that we work with at every conference have graduate degrees. Two thirds do not. And so, so uh, you'll be in good company if you do. You'll be in good company if you don't. But I do think it's a smart five-year, seven-year plan to be thinking to yourself uh, in one of these executive programs. And they're awesome programs. And they'll teach you a lot. And we like the idea of not having to lose two years of your salary, two years of your 401k investment. I mean, it's kind of funny to study finance in a, uh, in a grad program and then you know, learn the time value of money after you just gave up at you know, 28 years old, two years of salary and suffered the negative effects of time value of money. Another Buffett quote, right? The greatest invention in capitalism, compounding. And so when you're young, it's really good to start trying to save, to get into your 401ks, you know, to take advantage of uh, stock purchase programs that companies have, because if you get into it when you're young, you're going um, to take advantage of a couple of decades of compounding. And again, it's a simple Excel spreadsheet. It's worth millions to you. It's worth millions when you're 60 or 65 years old, if you can start younger. Building on that, there was a follow-up. You know, what are the company's feelings or thoughts on the difference between in-person versus distance learning online? I mean, in fact, they don't even call them online anymore. They call them distance no. learning because they're so hybrid. So what, what do you hear, Chuck? Company, companies don't care. Right. 
companies don't care. I, I don't have anybody saying to me that, hey, you got to do it at this school or go here. Nobody thinks that. And I think there's just a huge appreciation, you all, for diversity today in, in business. And so, you know, the, the, idea, the old school idea that you've got to have this, you know, this pedigree from this thing, it's just, it's just gone. Like nobody talks to me that way. And to, to me, it's much more about tools and continuous learning which is really important to, to continue to develop your skills. And some people, I think, learn real, much better on the job. Some people learn much better in a, in a classroom-type environment. And so some learn with a hybrid of those two. Don't forget, like, there's still things written that today, with, with the amount of reference that's out there, if you read five books on any one topic, you know more than 99% of the people on the planet on that topic. So there's a lot out there, blogs and YouTube videos and online courses that you can take to really learn just about any topic that you, that you want to learn. So it'd be very short-sighted of corporations to think to themselves that, you know, you got to have this one cookie cutter thing. They're going to chop out a lot of diversity in their own companies. Okay, last, we're just going to do one more question on the, on the master's degree. We're going to get on some other subjects here. So somebody says, if you already have a technical master's, do you need to get the MBA or look into the master's? Uh, I think it depends on what you anymore? go into. I think it's a great question. And a, a lot of the, this is a fun thing about doing a career search because you're, you're comparing a lot of options to each other. And, and, and you know, we're, we're really good at learning what's important to you and building an interview schedule for things that we think are going to be, are going to be interesting to you, and you're going to get the power of comparison, right? And the, and Joel's going to probably ask me a question, so I'll reiterate this again. But I think the the biggest the biggest mistake I see non traditional candidates making a huge industry change is they make decisions in isolation, and and they 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 forego the power of comparing options to each other. But you, with a technical master's degree, it would be fun to set up a career search for you where some of the companies would be looking at you to be able to grow your, your leadership skills, leadership and technically. It'd be, there'd be also some that would say it'd be interesting to take that leadership and technical and use it more in a commercial setting where it might be interesting for you to augment your degree with an MBA. But the fun thing is, is to have discussions like this while you're interviewing with these companies because you're just going to get so much smarter on what the options are for you. And in the process of doing that, you literally are going to form your preference. You're going to figure out what do I prefer? And, and it's, it's going to be so much more thoughtful than anything you could figure out right now, except for what do you prefer in the military? Like, you know, a ton about what you prefer in the military, because that's what you're in. But I'm talking about what do you prefer in the, in the very, very large business world, which is, which is significantly larger than the military. Right, just going by percent of GDP. Let's stick on that topic since that's what, and I know there's more questions. We'll have to get to it, could be only because you brought it up. Let's talk about the power of the comparison. How come that's important? And maybe I should preface it that we're really big in Cameron Brooks doing a career search. Yeah. How I know why, but I'm going to ask you so you yeah. can explain it. How come? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because, because what we want is a successful transition. A successful transition 
you know, your first three to four years out of the business world and all the data that we've analyzed, and we look at alum that have done really well, some that have done medium, some that have done not as well. And by the way, they're all talented and I know them. I mean, I know what they look like, right? I can, I know them by name. Some of them have just knocked the cover off the ball in the last 20 years in their career and, and others are in the middle. I mean, this normal distribution on it, even with Camerbrook's alum. And so we've looked at um, the common threads and, and I think that it's making the transition from the military to the business world and having a very smart three to four year transition. And remember this, right? And remember this. I, I said this in one of the other, one of the other pod, uh, webcasts that I did. I say you're non-traditional for, for businesses. But imagine the military, um, that a company commander in the military and a battalion commander in the military are interviewing a bunch of their junior officers for, for an open command spot or an open executive officer spot, whatever, whatever important role, right, to, uh, to a battalion, you know, our executive officers. So they're interviewing all the, uh, they're interviewing all the uh, O2s and uh, out there in the, in the battalion and sister battalions and other, you know, people from other military bases to pick the very, very best um, executive officer, experience required. But now, in addition, during that search, they're also going to consider non-traditional candidates. So they're going to find business people that have had very successful business careers, and maybe they've got three to four years of business experience that are going to interview alongside of a, of a, uh, a senior O2 in the military. And so, so imagine that, right? I mean, imagine what it would take for you to be on that interview panel, to interview these people and somehow or another pick the business people who are non-traditional for a military role, experienced business people, instead of the experienced military officer. And, and that is exactly what businesses are doing here, especially in high-complexity recruiting that are not entry-level positions, right? Every job that you will see, you can ask any alumni, hey, when you saw that, the actual company job description, what did it say minimum years of experience? What were the hard requirements of the job? If, the, if it says zero, you all, I'm not even going to like, I'm not even going to answer that email. That to me is a total insult to a military officer to say that, you know, this job is designed for somebody with zero years of, of business experience. I mean, they, I, I want to recruit for jobs that say four to five years of, you know, five to six years, seven to eight years, because, right, because there are different ranges within junior officers um, of experience required. And then I like the idea of teaching the company how your non-traditional background qualifies you for that role and gets you over that high bar. It's, it's, difficult, it's difficult recruiting, but it is, it is absolutely, you know, it's the most fun thing to do for you as you, as you get out of the service. And so, so um, you know, you're, uh, the, these, and, and Joel, let's come back to, come back to your question because I want to make sure I bring it all the way home again. We're, we're, why is the power of comparison, the career search yeah, of power good, of comparison, good. so important so, to this transition? Yeah, so, so where does it start then? Yeah. Well, that, that um, starts with comparing options because the power of comparison is that you're going to get your relative interest in a range of opportunities. And the sadness that I have is when a person's making a huge change like this and they just inadvertently pick the first option that they get. 
They're not doing any analysis and comparison of company A versus company B versus company C. And I think they make a, a very, very important decision in isolation. And then as you make it in isolation, the risk factor in the three to four years, the most important years in getting out of the service is that you're going to burble. You're going to hiccup. And you'll ultimately get the power of comparison, but you're going to, because you made your decision in isolation, you pick the one job that made you an offer in your hometown, right? And I had those things when I got out. I had companies that said, hey, you know, you want to be in Washington, D.C., where I'm from? You know, sure, we'll, we'll give you a job offer. And thank goodness I had a great friend of mine that went through the Canberra Brooks Conference and was like, don't, don't do it. Like, get to the conference, get educated. You know, it's uh, think Intel, think IPB, like be thorough, manage risk. You know, I luckily I had a great um, S1 that was a, uh, a cohort ahead of me as a, as a JO that I really respected and looked up to. And in many ways, I owe him my career today because he, he gave me information that I did not have. But the point is, compare, go through a conference, learn. You will, you will make such a better decision. You will manage risk so much better. Now, if you're going to go to work for a DOD company and that's all you want, you want to use your security clearance and you want to go to work for Booz Allen or whatever, and, and, do, and you know, you're, in the, you're in the Air Force on some SPO and you're going to go to work for Booz Allen on that SPO and you just really want to just continue your military career, you're just going to do it with your uniform off, you don't need the power of comparison. But when you make a big change, risk, the risk of burbling is one of the main things that you need to consider. And what I mean by it is you go to work for one for a year, you leave that company, you go to another one for a year, you leave that company, you go to work for another one for a year. And you, that's what I mean by hiccuping. And you're actually never transitioning. It, uh, three, four, five, ten years have gone by. You've never actually transitioned. Because the definition of the transition, the transition ends when you go from being a proven military leader, which is what you are right now, to a proven business leader. Like you have gone through your first job, you probably have been promoted one time, and now you're a part of the company's succession planning process, which believe me, the business world has BZ type things, and you, you know, they don't call it that, but, but they have succession planning, and you have now established yourself as a high performer because they've seen your track record there and with, with high potential. Now you're a high performer, high potential person. That is the top block on the nine blocks of succession planning. You can Google that. That is thought leadership that is in corporations today, nine blocks of succession planning. You're going to be in the top right of that block. That is the end of the transition. And you are, now you are on the same kinetic and potential energy that you had when you left the service. When you burble, the clock keeps starting over. You're just taking a stopwatch and running it for 12 months and then just reset it, new 12 months, reset it, new 12 months. And don't worry if that ends up being you. You have tons of company. Just look at LinkedIn and how many people never make a successful transition to the business world as a developmental candidate, even out of MBA programs, even out of top MBA programs. Find somebody that graduated from a business school six years ago. And for every one that you find that actually laid, got out of business school, took a job and, and transitioned out of the military after two years of business school and stayed there and now is with that company, or maybe not that company, but maybe in an industry, but their skill set, you know, they're now, they accelerated, they're up at the director level, senior director level in six years, seven years. For every one that you find that did it at business school, you'll find 10 that are out there burbling after business school because they never have made a transition. 
And so, so to answer your question, Joel, the power of comparison, it is, it is to make an effective transition. And the first three to four years out of the military are just as important as that business person coming into the military, getting that XO job, and everybody's going to have their eye on that person for the next two to three years three to four years. And if that person doesn't accelerate and become one of the best executive officers in the battalion and one of the best inside of the brigade, do you really think that person's going to command anything or ever have a star on their chest if they have a slow three-year transition when you've got all these other officers? Again, I'm inverting it, right? I'm giving you the opposite of it. But I hope it hits home the fact that the first three to four years are just vital to your, to your success. We think the conference and the data bears this out. The conference is the best way to get there. So we're going to grab a couple questions that haven't been answered for, and then we're going to let you end with the holiday decision-making or any of the other key points you want to make. So there's two questions that have to do with, have we seen a change in the mix and the jobs? One has to do with career fields. Have you seen a change in the mix in the career fields? Maybe a little bit more business analysis, maybe as have you seen more supply chain types of things? And then second, have you seen the mix in the different locations, East Coast, West Coast? What are you seeing, Chuck? I see it everywhere. I see the mix broadening, companies broadening, jobs that they're recruiting JOs for. Um, I think that our alumni are doing an unbelievable job out there, opening up more doors for other Camerabrooks alumni. So it's, uh, I, see, I see the, the career field mix across the board. I still think, though, that it's really good for you to interview with multiple career fields. And so sometimes people, when I have the rare privilege of being able to meet you before the conference, they're like, well, Chuck, I know you want me to tell you exactly what I want to do. And I think like, no, I don't. I've never said that. Nobody's ever said that here. We want you to do a search. And so I think there's value in seeing multiple career fields at a conference. And so, so don't think about narrowing yourself down. Think about broadening yourself and seeing, seeing a wider array of them at a conference. Because literally, when you see A, B, C, D, and E, you might find that A becomes really interesting to you because you didn't like E, right? D becomes a lot more interesting because you compared it to A and E. And so it's just, and I can't possibly, people always say to me, oh, you know exactly where I'm going to go to work. I think like, no way. I figured out one thing, you all, I've never met any two of you that remotely remind me of each other. And we've done brothers and sisters. And I so even twin there, brothers. We twin identical brothers. twins. Both new power players. officers. Yeah, they were, not, they were not identical, you know, <laughs> not, not in any way. And so my point is, is that, you know, it, there, there's a big advantage to seeing multiple uh, career fields. And we love the reading because I hope you read something and you're like, that interests me too. Or I really found this interesting. We're always asking, what do you think about the reading? Because we're trying to find, uh, get an idea of the, of the broadness of things that will be interesting to you. And then you interview with them, you learn a ton, you narrow down for the follow-up process, you, you, know, you pick your favorites, hopefully you still have some sampling in the group that you're doing second round interviews with, because I think all things statistical sampling, scientific, mathematical fact, it's useful uh, to, get, to get a wide sample. And, and you're ultimately going to get to the point where you make a, a decision that's going to be easier for you to transition into, because it's going to hold your attention um, it's going to, if you're going to be great at it, which is really important and it's going to open the right doors for you. And one more question we're going to feel and then let you wrap up. How do you envision the push towards greater data science and automation affecting the junior officer marketability moving forward? I think it's like the most important thing. I think it is, uh, I think when we left the service, Joel, you know, in the early nineties and the internet was invented 
I think our generation was the generation of the internet. And the internet changed everything, you all. It's just globally. So interesting, right? And I can still remember in my lifetime, like somebody telling me, hey, there's this thing called the World Wide Web. And thinking to myself, my gosh, this is going to change. This is going to change everything. And so that was, that was our time. But, but this, the equivalent to you is going to be data science. That's, all of you are going to be data scientists. And it's going to be, it's going to be incredibly wise for you to start paying attention to that as you're transitioning out into your first five years. Get good at Excel. Get good at pivot tables. You know, t- watch Khan Academy, five videos on the basics of statistics, the basics of normal distribution. You know, what is regression? You know, what is standard deviation? What is normal distribution? You know, to try to get an understanding of a, a, a statistical fundamental. And many of you already have it, right? I studied biochemistry in my undergrad, so I left the service with a very, very strong math background. And that helped me because it just... It came to me a little bit more quickly, but other people I know didn't have that. They're a history major, but they are some of the most technical people that I know because they're just, you know, they're very dedicated to learning new things. So data science, that is going to be your, your generation. And you're going to ride that wave for 40 years yeah. as, it, as it becomes bigger and bigger in corporations. Absolutely. All right, Chuck, bring it all together. What should be people thinking about talking about over the next, you know, month or so all the holiday things and as what, yeah. what are they taking away from this what, what what should they be doing well enjoy your holidays enjoy your holidays and enjoy time with your family and you know count your blessings and you know and be safe and you know that's first and foremost because what a great time of year to recharge batteries and read a great book and you know if, if anything my thought for you would be to to try to come up with your five or ten year plan and and look out a half a decade or a decade, and if you're 28 now, say, where do, you, where do you really see yourself at 38 years old? And I'm 55 now, you all, and I left the service at 26. Mm. So, you know, it's, uh, it, uh, it will come. The time will come. And unfortunately, we only get one life to live. I wish, I wish still today there were like 50 things that I wish I would have had time to do. But uh, uh, so, so spend the holidays enjoying yourself and being safe and being around your loved ones and and, you know, and, and the, the point, too, is that I think it's it is, um, you know, be careful. I, I always say this, right? Family, loved ones, they, they want what's good for you, but they don't necessarily want what's best for you. And I, I have I'm half Irish and half Hispanic, the half Irish side. I have an Irish mother and I joke around about this, but it's not a joke. Irish mothers, they want the kids and the grandkids not only to live in the same city, but they want us all in the same neighborhood, ideally on the same street. And even, even 27 years after leaving D.C. and living in Texas, which, by the way, is not a 10-hour drive, super irony, um, is uh, my, my mother still says to me, oh, when are you and Julie and the kids going to move back here, you know, back, back to D.C.? And, you know, and I always just say, hey, I love you too, Mom, you know, because that's, that's the way that family members express love. They want, they want everybody close. And I'll, I'll tell you, I have three kids and – and one's already out of college and the other one is about to graduate from college. And I told him no to Texas, right? As much as I would love for them to be near me, I said, you can go to work anywhere you want, but don't come back to Texas because I think it's so important to get out there and make your own path and figure out what is good for you that I wanted even my own children as painful as it is. I mean, a good would be them near me, 
but best for them is to cast a net and get out there and make your mark. And I know over time, if they do that well, their chances of getting back to Texas, you know, later with the right experience level are very, very high, right? And I high probability of that. But I'm talking about when you're forming and you're making the initial investments in your career, cast, you know, cast a wide net. And I'll end on this. I've said it a million times. I read somewhere that Teddy Roosevelt, you know, one of the most successful Americans ever, his mother, even her dying wish was that he would be a dentist and, and, you know, pressured him to, you know, when, you know, the, the guy was an inventor, explorer, president of the United States, you know, and she's still, you know, geez, Theodore, I, I really was hoping you'd be a dentist. And, and that's, that's a loving mother, right? That's a great thing. But, but again, what's good for you and what's best for you are two different things. Be careful around the holidays. Cause I think there's a lot of family pressure uh, on that, which sometimes has a tendency of narrowing our focus. And hopefully you can see everything we talked about here is, is reminding you when you're young, broaden your focus and cast, cast that wide net out there. Thanks for, thanks for all your insight wisdom there, Chuck. It was great uh, uh, spending an hour with you. It's always excellent to get you out your voice out in front of the, uh, the officers that are considering a transition. Thank you everybody for participating and listening. You Thank you, Joel. Email Thank me you, at, uh, Joel at Cameron-Brooks.com uh, with any other additional questions or if you want to set up a consultation session. Thank you. Thank you. Happy holidays. I want to thank everyone for uh, hanging in and listening to the podcast. Hopefully the conversation with Chuck and Joel was meaningful to you and, uh, and has given you some perspective about the future, about your situation, about career planning. This is the last podcast for 2021 for Cameron Brooks. Our next podcast will be published on January 3rd. It's actually a two-parter on January 3rd and January 17th. Joel had a conversation with four longtime Cameron Brooks alumni about career and career management, and one that I think will be really interesting to you as you are embarking on, or at least potentially considering embarking on your next adventure in corporate America. So you definitely want to stay tuned for that. If this is all new to you and this is the first time you've ever heard about Cameron Brooks, I would encourage you to click on our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. Tons of information, tons tons of resources that you could use. If you're interested in talking to someone, you can talk to me. I want to talk to you directly. You can call me at area code 210-874-1519 or hit me with an email. My email address is my name, Pete, P-E-T-E at Cameron-Brooks.com. All right, you all. Enjoy the holiday season. Hopefully you get some meaningful time off and we'll look forward to seeing you in 2022.